Hello again folks, our guest this week is Jesse Cole, founder of Fans First Entertainment and owner of the Savannah Bananas, an independent baseball team playing in the Coastal Plain League. The Bananas have been awarded, awarded even, Organisation of the Year, Business of the Year and won the CPL Championship in their first year. Fans First Entertainment has been featured on the INC 5000 lists as one of the fastest growing companies in America. The teams have welcomed more than 1 million fans to their ballpark and have been featured on MSNBC, CNN, ESPN and in Entrepreneur Magazine. The Savannah Bananas currently have sold out every game since their first season and have a waiting list in the thousands for tickets. It's a great chat. This is an Alliance podcast. Leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream. The best is yet to come. Let's have fun. I'm all in, guys. Excellent. Glad to hear it. All right, Jesse, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome back to the um, Build It podcast. Our guest today is Jesse Cole, owner of a yellow tu- seven yellow tuxedos, I believe. Would that be is that the current count? That's, that's crazily true, yes. So yeah, seven yellow tuxedos. Um, there will obviously be images accompanying the podcast. But, uh, Jesse, if you could give us 30 seconds on... Um, who you are and you know what your passion is and then we will explain why we've got you on the podcast if that's okay with you sure of course well i was a baseball guy that turned into a circus ringleader uh, my biggest inspirations are walt disney and pt barnum read every book on them and basically took over a failing ball club turned it into a circus with break dancing coaches a senior citizen dance team called the banana nanas a male cheerleading team called the mananas a banana band uh banana babies you name it we turned into a show and Long story short, I went from selling only two tickets and having to sell my house and empty empty out my savings account and sleep on an airbed to now sold out every single game in Savannah and our wait list is over 12,000 for tickets and we're taking the show on the road. So I'm a guy who likes Insane. to have fun and I get to do it every day of my life, which is great. So you, I think I got another you, 30 seconds. <laughs> no, that's, it's a well-rehearsed speech, I know. Um, you must have a very, very trusting and loving wife. That's all I, that's all I can say. That, that, that is an absolute understatement. You know, I met her. <laughs> she, she became our director of fun of our first team in Gastonia, North Carolina. I proposed to her in this yellow tuxedo in front of a sold-out crowd, and she actually said yes, and we're still married. So that in itself says a lot. Crazy times. All right. Um, very quickly, then, how did you what, – what made you think this two-ticket operation in Savannah is the is, – is my future. I'm guessing when you were a 14 year old boy, you weren't dreaming of revolutionizing minor league baseball. <laughs> no, I picture myself as, you know, Pedro Martinez or, you know, Sammy Sosa. Mar- I picture myself as a professional baseball player is what I was picturing myself. And uh, no, I, uh, it was a, a goal of mine to play baseball. And I realized when I tore my shoulder that ended my career pretty quickly. And I had an opportunity to coach or work in the front office. And I realized when I coached, I sat in the dugout, some of the best players in the country, and I was bored out of my mind. I realized that I love playing the game, but watching the game was pretty boring. You know what's going to happen. It drags on. You can't do much about it. You're just sitting there waiting for something to happen. So then I thought, what if we changed it? What if we made it fun? What if we created a game where I wouldn't get bored or other people wouldn't get bored? And so for almost 10 years with our small team in Gastonia, the first team that we started, we just experimented. Grandma beauty pageants, we tried it. Flatulence fun night, we tried it. Salute to underwear night, we tried it. Dancing <laughs> players, we tried it. 
And we had this lab for 10 years that we learned that this may work. And we went from 200 fans in Gastonia and $268 in the bank account to fourth in the country in attendance and selling out games. And we said, let's take this to the nice, bigger opportunity. And that's what brought us to Savannah, Georgia, where we then proceeded to fail and then eventually figure it out. Failing is the important bit, right? We don't win if, it, if we don't lose first. <laughs> yeah, you, um, you got to learn first. If you're, the logic being, if you're bored, other people are bored, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I think you create something that you love. This is what George Lucas did with Star Wars. This is what Walt Disney was trying to create for him and his daughters. You you, you create something that you would love. And then if you're going to try to be the biggest fan, that's then that drives you to work harder and keep creating until you find that sweet spot. Fair enough. How do you avoid being self-indulgent? <laughs> You know, I, I've never been asked that question before. Uh, we got him. We got him. You got me on that one. <laughs> we got him. No, I, it's 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 funny. I uh, I never think about that. I, I was just I was a person putting myself in the fan shoes and the customer shoes, and I was a fan, and I was bored, and there was no it was you know dead air. The game was long. The game was slow. You know, you get nickel and dimed at a ballpark. I looked at every friction point. I said, what if we did the opposite? And that's kind mm -hmm. of been the framework for everything we've done is whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. Normal gets normal results, and normal is not exciting for anyone. So we try to go the opposite of normal, and uh, fortunately, we've had some success. Yeah. The same thing and expecting different results, right? Idiocy. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, what's, the, what's been the pushback from the traditionalists that we spoke about or touched on earlier? Like, what, How has it been received outside of the, the people that love what you're doing? No, she's every day we get pushed back from traditionalists. Uh, you know, I mean, it's so funny. I mean, when we first announced the name Savannah Bananas, first we got an unbelievable amount of criticism. Uh, you guys are embarrassment to the city. This is the worst name ever. You need to be thrown out of town. You'll never sell a ticket. Uh, we actually did a mean tweet video the year after of all the people that said all those comments, and half of them ended up buying tickets, which was very of funny. Course, in itself. Yeah. But we're used to criticism, and I, I believe if you're not getting criticism, you're playing it too safe. And so from traditionalists, we lose four to six season ticket holders every single year because they say it's become too much of a circus. You know, players introducing themselves, playing in kilts, crazy scoring celebrations. Uh, you know, I mean, players playing with no shirts on. I mean, we try it all out there on the field. But I think the biggest key for any business, any sports team, everyone focuses on who they are for. I think you need to focus on who you are not for. Sometimes that defines more who you are for and what you stand for. So, for instance, we know we're not for baseball traditionalists because – Baseball traditionalists want a game that doesn't change the, the idea of tradition. They want the same game, the nine inning game and the way it's always been. That's not for us. We've seen a trend where Major League Baseball, the average fan is over 60 years old. For seven years, the Major League Baseball games have got longer. They're now three hours and 12 minutes averaging per game. The average fan is, like I said, older. There's no young fans. Viewership's down. Attendance is down. So traditionalists are literally dying. So... Why would we focus on them when we could focus on a young audience? And that's what's crazy. Like right now, we have 250,000 more followers on TikTok than every Major League Baseball team. We're a tiny little yeah. baseball team in Savannah, Georgia. There's, but that tells us something. We don't have many baseball traditionalists following us, but there's a ton of young people that want fun and they want to see something they've never seen in a ballpark. And that's the audience we're, we're looking at. We haven't, we haven't spoken to anyone connected with the Cubs. It's the same logic, right? They know what they're yeah. doing. Go crazy, do it. We need to do something different. Because I think that as a Brit, as an outsider, like the thing that still continues to jar with me five years after, and this is not, in no way it's like this is about America, not about you per se, is the, the whole entertainment bit of sports entertainment. 
Like to me, as a purist, I want the sport to be enough. But it isn't. It isn't for minor league anything in this country. It's enough. It's a, the sport is enough if you're running an NFL team. That's about it, right? Well, you, but what can you be the best at? Yeah. So your, your level, my level, we can never be the best. You know, football or baseball teams in the it can't happen. Like we're, we can't get that talent. We're never going to be the Yankees. You're never going to be Man City. It's just not going to happen. So why don't you play a game that you can win? Yeah. And what's happening is that we've been fortunate that we believe we're making baseball fans. Well, banana ball fans, but yeah. we're, we're creating fans that are actually like, wow, this game's fun. This game's different. So again, you know, focus on the people that you're, you're, uh, you can make the biggest impact on. And for us, that's people that aren't necessarily baseball fans. That might be bananas fans. All right. I got to, I got to nerd out a minute because I get, I, first of all, this is probably the most I've ever done homework before we had a guest on and we are we are by no means professors normally i'm pretty uh i'm pretty loose i have a few questions you, um, you can I, have me fooled you're doing a good job guys yes. no so you you um we listened to one other podcast you were on um to get some of the basics and stuff we i think nick actually identified on sports center or something and right away you know as as always like what, what's this about listen to the podcast actually watch on your uh, website, you've got a 20 minute, nice documentary video about your moving into the ballpark and you know being in a storage unit and all these kinds of things to get started. And, and so I, like, I, I really like the Savannah in the spring and summertime, but, um, our situation in, in lower league soccer, is, I'm not going to say different, but it might be different. So we, most of us play a rented facility, either a high school college. So we, we don't own the stadium. We don't own our field. Um, we're, we're not financially there yet. Um, but I'm curious on your side, I don't know. I don't know what your stadium lease or per, whatever you guys did is either way. You seem to have full control over the facility though. So you can be as sort of crazy and out there as you want to be. Nobody's, nobody's necessary. Or maybe they are and you just do it anyway. But, um, what's that like with dealing with the facility and then also with some of the, some of the things you do mid game, you know, how does, how does the league, the, the umpire, like, how does everybody, or is it just like, well, this is what they do and it works for this and we're going to just go along with it. I mean, how does, how does some of that present challenges for you? So uh, let me try to knock them all down. So uh, yes, we have a lease with the city um, and I'll be very open. It's public. We, we pay 25,000 a year. All right. So that's our lease. We pay 25,000 a year. And then we have control of the stadium. One of the biggest things I learned from Walt Disney was control the controllables. He hated when his movie was in a movie theater and it was dirty. People didn't take care of you. It was dark. So he created Disneyland. Um, so we have options there. Um, in regards to things during the games, uh, yes, do we get fines and threats from the league and the owners on a regular basis? You better believe it. Uh, when I first started our first team in Gastonia, I remember that we played, uh, we had a mariachi band in the middle of the game. And they, they, you know, there was 11-piece mariachi band and they didn't know to play pregame or postgame. So they're just playing throughout the entire game. And we won uh, two to one being the Ashboro team. And the, the newspaper uh, reporter interviewed our pitcher. And he said, I caught myself shaking my hips out there. Well, the next day, I get a fine from the league for 100 bucks for playing music during the game because they were up, the other team was upset. So I sent him a check for $600. I said, this is for the next five times you catch me. So I, I set the tone there that <laughs> we're going to keep having fun. I think what's happened for us is that um, we're very clear on what happens at our ballpark. The other owners don't like it. Some players don't like it. But the umpires, they love it. And here's why. 
an umpire goes to another city, another team, they play in front of 200 people. They can hear every single heckle that they get because there's no one at the stadium. They come to our ballpark and they catch themselves being a fan. They watch as 4,000 people stand up and do the Hey Baby dance. They watched as we do weigh-ins before the game and have the banana baby and all the dances and the break dancing coaches doing the moonwalk. They become a fan. And so it's how you treat people. So very important for us. You better believe the umpires, when they come in, they're going to have a nice meal set for them. They're going to have drinks for them. I'm going to talk to them every time they come to our ballpark. Hey, guys, we're going to have a drone in the middle of the third inning. Just letting you know, we're not being attacked. It's going to be going during the game. It'll be above the pitcher. We're filming things. Hey, guys, we're having a guy come up to bat in stilts, all right, in the middle of the game. Um, we're going to get you a stool, a step stool, so you can stand on that, so you can umpire during that. So I set the tone, and when I don't let an umpire know what's going to happen, like this game, we, we mic up all our players. So our pitcher was getting mic'd up during the game, and he thought he was getting the signs or he was seeing stuff while he was pitching. So the umpire made him take the AirPods out. I was like, no, 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 this is allowed. So I had to call the commissioner of the league in the middle of the game. I call myself on my commissioner. I go, this is allowed. He goes, oh, Jesse, I'm so, so sorry. I won't do that again. I won't do that again. So you have to set the tone. So I think if you're doing it for the right reasons and you're clear on who you are, there will be tons of backlash in the beginning. But once you start selling out the stadium and the fans have a better time, the players have a time, the league and everyone else will understand you're doing things with, with, you know, good intentions. You're attracting to the league itself too, which they might not like publicly, but they certainly like privately. I would imagine. A thousand. I mean, that, this past year we had 87, 87 million views in our videos, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, CBS and ESPN all do, did national pieces. So, I mean, you can say what you want, but I think, I think we're making the other, helping make the other teams more valuable in the league. If you ask me. So what, what, um, I, listen, just watching some of the videos and stuff I was able to find. Um, and I don't, I'm not a baseball guy, so I struggle to understand what it takes to put on an event. What is it like on uh, on game day where you... Good question. Let me start where it started because that would be more valuable. Because if I talk about where we are now, it may seem like, oh, we can't do that. Let's talk about where we started. It was myself, my wife, Emily, and an intern, Jared, that ran our entire team in Gastonia. I did sponsorship, sales, ticket sales, all the entertainment. Jared did some of the sales. Emily did all the hiring and operations. And we still vowed one thing. We were going to have a promotion every half inning. We were going to have pregame promotions. And we're going to find a way. We put that as the top of our scale. Because we had if we can't get fans excited and doing the marketing for us, we can't, we can't make it as a team. So, again, we spend zero traditional marketing. But we spent everything on the experience, which then gets our fans to do the marketing for us. So that's where we started. And we had interns during the summer. We'd have four interns. So I'd have a promotions intern. I'd have someone helping me on the mic. And that was it. Now, obviously, it's a, you know, we just hired 10 more full-time people. We're at 25 full-time people. Um, we, our wait list for interns just hit 900. So we hire 10 interns uh, for every season. Our wait list is at 900 for interns. So there's become a demand. But what it looks like is I was running the show as the director of entertainment for many years. We brought in someone to be our director of entertainment. I speak with him every day because I put my focus on the show, which then again bleeds, drives fans. So we have a director of entertainment. Then we have uh, two promotions interns. This is just in the show. I'm because this is where I had promotions interns. Then we have our video and marketing team. So we've got two or three videographers in a marketing Instagram where we hit that you know, big. So that's, that's big for us. And so what we do is we'll plan the show in advance. Every day I work on 10 ideas with our director of entertainment. So our pregame has 55 promotions. Every minute has something on one of our five stages, parking lot, our plaza, our concourse, our grandstand, and our on-field. There's always something going on. 
We have our male cheerleading team, which is four to six. We have our banana nanas, which is eight to 10. Our pep band, which is 10 to 16. Two breakdancing first base coaches, Princess Potassia. We're bringing a magician in. Uh, we have a dancing umpire. Our cast is now extensive. It didn't start like that. Our first year, we just had banana nanas. Then we added the breakdancing coach and the pep band. Then we added the male cheerleading team. Then we added the princess. And we keep expanding because we know that's what's getting people excited. Now, we believe in our games, every fan can see someone that they can relate to. The dads can relate to the male cheerleading team. The, the grandmothers can relate to the banana nanas. We have kid coaches and banana babies. So now we're creating a show that we feel everyone can say, I can be them. One of your matches, not many people can say, I could be a dominant soccer player. They don't have those skills, but can they see someone else? And so, you know, we spend a ton of time on the show. It's, it's everything for us. It's, it's how, it, how we bring in fans. We do something on the field that are his live fans. We film it, put it out to our digital audience, over a million followers. Then that creates more fans, and it keeps going, going, and going. That's, that's our model. So when you get to go watch, I mean, at some point, you're still a baserist that likes the sport of baseball. I imagine. Do you go on the, you don't like, you don't like everybody else. You, you just like, like the, I, I mean, I'll be very open. I, I don't watch any baseball games and, and I don't watch the world series. I, I, for me, I'm too bored watching it. And, and it's just, I will watch any other entertainment. I'll go to every Vegas show or, or on cruise ships. I'll watch all that. Cause I learned from that, but I'm not a baseball purist. That's why we literally, behind me, banana ball, the rules, we developed a two-hour game where fans can catch a foul ball for an out. You can steal first. There's no bunting. We developed a new game. So I'm not anymore, but there are baseball purists who come to our games. Some stay and some don't want it. But, yeah. So do you go, do you go support your bananas on the road? You, or is it like that's my off time because I'm so on at home that when they're on the road, I get – I. I, I presently, currently hate how we go on the road. Here's why. Our team's going on the road, and people are like, oh, the Bananas are coming to town. Nope. No, they're not. Our baseball team is coming to town. They're not seeing anything like they would see at our experience. It's just our baseball team playing a game of baseball. I vow at some point, every time we go on the road, like we, we're going on our Banana Ball World Tour, we travel with 92 performers. It's a circus. That's what you see. So I don't travel on the road because it doesn't, it just, it does, I need to focus right on the main games, but it doesn't bring me any joy or excitement. And it's, uh, I feel bad for the fans that come to those games because they want to see the bananas. We, we have, I don't know, we're 20 to 50 to 100 people that come to those games and they don't get to see really what, what I think we're made of. Right. Well, it's interesting. So, so from a financial standpoint, I like how you explored of like we started small and we did one thing and then we added another thing and, and you, you grow. Uh, volunteers, volunteers. Yeah. 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 Um, from a, you know, not a personal finances or anything like that. Um, I think one of the things like everything you explain and all the things that I've seen are go, yeah, like we could, we could put a soccer spin on a bunch of this stuff and, and try some new things. I think that would start to maybe get a little bit of attention, but it's always that fine line of, uh, you know, we're, we are a community funded club. We don't have an own, like we have, hmm. we, we make our money on merchandise sales, memberships, camps, uh, fundraisers things like that that we can do so what's the most what's the most people you can have in one event um we've what's our, your capacity our our seating capacity 1800 and you average what you say 300 a game yeah three yeah 250 to 400 depending on you know a storm rolls in i love talking about that uh rain delay plan. rain delay yeah love it oh yeah um, that's that, that's a whole nother thing yeah. but here 
everyone looks at the entertainment, the marketing, the videos and stuff. Before we did all that, we had a, a sellout strategy. That was everything. You can have the greatest show and if there's 200 people in an 1800 seat, it's not going to be a great show. Our fans make the show. So when's your, when's your season? Uh, April through July ish. It's like summer. It's a, I think okay. similar to what you guys are doing. So if I were you, I would look at what would it take to put all groups, everybody, get everyone excited for that opening day, get 1,800 people in there and create something magical. And then what's going to happen and then turn people away. I know it sounds crazy. Maybe it's not this year. Maybe it's a turn people away. The biggest thing that we have is people are paying $150, $200 StubHub to get tickets for the bananas. And so when you create that demand, then all of a sudden there's this added excitement of people are fired up. They'll line up hours in advance to come to a game. Once you get that, then you can really marry the show together with the people. Um, now, what comes first? Can you try to put on a good show with 300 people and then you'll slowly grow from there? But people, you know, go to places that are full. You go by a restaurant, no one's there. You don't go there. And so that's a big goal for us was trying to, how do we sit, fill out our stadium? And then once we get that, then it just started compounding on each other. I mean, we have our wait list now for the world tours at 11,000 and we're going to cities we've never been to. They don't even know who we are, but because of that demand, that will help make the event better. It sounds so easy, Nick. Don't you think? I don't know why we haven't done it, John, to be honest. Um, well, I guess why, why would they come? Why would, you know, you got to ask a lot of questions. Why would they come? What's going to make it interesting? You know, there's there's all those things that you got to create that. And it, it's it's a long process. But if you could get one sellout, one, then it can go to two. Then it's it, it works yeah. from there. Put all your once tickets. You, once you've broken this grass ceiling. Absolutely. Oh, I can I can. John's thinking. So I'm just trying to give him thinking space. Um, who is is anyone trying to replicate what you're doing across minor league baseball? No, there's a ton of great minor league operators. The challenge is they have red tape. So when you look at every minor league operator now, especially because they're run by major league teams, you can't have your players dance during the games. You can't have your players playing kilts or give roses to little girls in the crowd. Or like, you know, in boxing, they have the ring girls, like that walk with like the, the what, what yeah, uh, yeah. round it is. Yeah, we have our players literally do that in the ninth inning and rip their shirts off and pour water over their heads. Like they're the ring dudes. Like you can't do that with players. And so there's so much red tape that, um, that they're held back. But yeah, there's, there's great operators. It's just, they're not... Yeah. They can't reinvent as much as we can because we have because you're fully independent, right? Um, how important is winning to you? And I know you don't care about the sport per se anymore, but as a as a business owner, I like... care about the fans. I, you know, the name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. Every yeah. decision we make is at Fans First. So winning is important, but everyone puts that as the most important. For us, what's most important is the fans, the experience, and the show. And if you create that, the winning takes care of itself. And what's crazy is that we've won more games than any team in the league over the last six years. We've won two championships, gone to the playoffs, been the number one seed every year. We don't focus necessarily on the most talented players. We focus on the players that understand what it's like to be fans first and the bananas. And then when they get into our culture and they're playing in front of 4,000 fans, the fans are lining up two hours in advance. They understand that it's bigger than baseball. And every night, so before a guy gets a uniform, they go through fans first you. So this is good for you guys, too. Before a guy gets a uniform, most thing they do is like, here's your uniform. We're going to go practice. We do an hour-long traditions where we talk about how we started, where we are, where we're going, including telling stories about, you know, when kids came up to a player and a player 
uh, and said, can I have your autograph? And he got down to a knee and said, only if I can have yours. And how now our players get autographs of kids all over their hats and their sleeves. We tell those stories. And then I always finish the story. And I finished this past year. For the first time I actually did, I said, guys, here's how this season's going to go. And I went through the whole vision of the season, literally laying it out. I go, uh, through the first half, we're going to have the most wins than anyone else. We're going to win the first half. Big celebration. Playoff tickets are going to go on sale. They're going to sell out within an hour. First playoff game is going to happen in Savannah. Fans will line up over four hours in advance. The first fans will be there. We're going to go out and you're going to be blown away how excited fans are coming from all over the country just to see you play. We're going to win that first round. No big deal. We're going to go to the championship. When we go to the championship, it's going to be the loudest you've ever heard of this ballpark. And you guys are going to be so fired up. It's going to be unbelievable. We'll win the first game. And then we're going to have the final game here at Grayson Stadium. And we're going to win. And when we win that last out, we're going to run out, have the biggest banana pile on home plate you've ever seen. Then we're going to have a surprise fireworks show in front of all the fans. The fans are going to go crazy. You guys are going to be crying. You're going to be cheering. You're going to be laughing. You're going to say, this has never, never had a moment like this ever before. This is going to be the best summer of your life. And that's how it's going to go. And the first time I did this was this year. And that's exactly what happened. So a little manifestation. We showed the video of me sharing it in May. You paint the vision of how it's going to go. And you share those fans first stories. And so that's, that's what we do. And it seems to have worked out pretty well. Do you do anything with, um, it, it, this is sort of a soccer thing, but you know, we, we focus or trying to focus more on fan again, similar to what, you know, what you're talking about with fans first. Yeah. Um, certainly not to the level of what you're doing, but um, how much do you communicate with the fans? Do you, you know, obviously you, you're interacting and, and you're getting the vibe and you can, you can see the feedback based on the reaction and the ticket sales and all those things. You can see that, but is there any like formal communication with it through surveys, through meeting, that kind of stuff? And, and again, that's a soccer thing that we try to replicate. No, it's good. Good question. It's a good question. And, and, and everyone has their own preferences on that. Uh, for me, I'm not a big fan of surveys. Um, you know, the famous quote, Henry Ford, if he asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Um, Steve Jobs never did surveys. Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't think fans would say we want we want to create a game where fans catch a foul ball. It's an out. There's no bunting and you can steal first, you know. So the way we engage is we do. Herb Callagher was asked, the founder of Southwest Airlines, about five years into running Southwest, a reporter asked him, what's your business strategy? He goes, it's called doing things. Sounds so simple, but for us, we have a lab that we do things every single day. We do four new promotions that we've never done in front of a live audience every single night. And what we do is we watch. So give you an example, not only that, uh, every 30 minutes at our ballpark, we take a pictures and video of our entire grandstand to watch when are they sitting down? When are they leaving? When do fans start to leave? We keep track of when fans leave the ballpark. So our surveying is watching their action steps, not asking them questions which are biased and you only get a small percentage of people actually filling. So I got a live audience and WWE does this exactly. Well. They said they literally will test things out and just, and they get a whole report at the end of the night. Vince McMahon gets his report still to this day on what was the response to that promo? What was the response to that race or that, that uh, match? And he gets all the opinions from, from all everyone on his team. And then they make decisions moving forward, which wrestler is getting the biggest response, which one's getting the worst response. It's the live action survey. The real survey is watching. And so for us, that's how we engage. Um, but the process starts before when people buy a ticket, they get a video sent to them. They get a thank you call immediately. We send a playlist of music to listen to on the way to the games. I mean, we set the stage of what the experience is from the first time they buy. Yeah. Some of those things I, I heard, I heard that your podcast you're on, I listened to, and I thought, man, that's like such simple stuff. You know, we do online ticketing and then we send it's them the an email confirmation. Yeah. You know? 
That's the annoying thing, Jesse, and I don't mean this in any way insultingly, but what you're doing isn't rocket science or brain surgery, is it? It's just reinventing the wheel almost. Well, thank you, but I, 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 I'll take that as a compliment. The reality is man, put, yeah. your, put yourself in your fans' shoes. Most people running teams, and I get it, they put themselves in their own shoes. And you guys, obviously, it's a different setup of community-owned, but all right, how do we sell more tickets? How do we bring in more revenue? How do we bring in more sales? How do we have more profits? To me, that's the wrong conversation. Every conversation we have is how do we bring in more fans? How do we create more fans? And it's thinking about fans. So it's, it's an example, like we put ourselves in our fan shoes. Again, I learned this from, from Walt Disney. I know I'm a broken record with him, but I've read every single book there is on him and watched every documentary. He lived in an apartment above the fire station at Disney. Not for a few reasons. Obviously, they were almost broke when they started Disneyland. There was a, but mainly because he wanted to be there to see it. So he would walk Disney every day undercover. He would go on the rides. He would stand with the people. He would watch. And he told all of his executives, let's not have meetings over here. Let's get in the park and talk about it. How often do, do us as operators or people in the sport actually put ourselves in our fan shoes? So we do it every night at our stadium. Every one, per, one person on our staff is undercover. They literally park with the fans, walk in with the fans, eat with the fans, sit with the fans. And we report not only the good things, but mostly the friction points. The starting point of all innovation and creating a greater fan experience is look at all the friction points and the frustrations that your customers or fans go through. And so after four years of doing Undercover Fan, we have 75 pages of friction points. We're never going to be perfect at it, but you better believe we're going to attack them every single chance we get. And that's where I think it is simple, but it takes time and it takes effort and it takes your whole team being on the same page of, you know what? That email confirmation is, that's a friction point. Or I can't find my the phone number of the team that easily on the website. Or I don't know the hours that they're open. Or uh, what time does their gate? So any of those questions are potential friction points. And that's why we have no ticket fees, no convenient fees. Uh, literally, there's no shipping fees on merchandise. There's no parking fees. I mean, it's a bad business model, what we're doing. We're throwing away all the opportunities for fees, but we're creating fans. And we believe that takes care of long-term revenue and profits. And fortunately, that's already started to happen. So you, um, I'm curious, you did a little bit of sales and stuff early on uh, previously, and I'm sure you still do. So I am one of two or three of us in our club that don't do this as a day job, but we are in charge of corporate partnerships, sponsorships, things. Um, mm-hmm. so I think obviously, you know, if us, if we were able to get 1800 consistently and sell out the, the university stadium where we play, that looks good to sponsors. Um, but like you said, the, the frick points, what are, is there any, uh, tips and tricks on giving sponsors and partners something different than the status quo? We'll put a banner up. We'll do that. Like, um, any of those kinds of thoughts? You- you're not going to like this job. I think I know the answer here. Now you're, you're, you're talking to a guy who eliminated all of our sponsorship from our ballpark. So that's, well, that's uh... right. That's right. I remember that. Now. But I mean, no, it was the worst businesses you ever make two weeks before the pandemic and say, how are we going to throw away hundreds of thousands of dollars? Well, we found the way to do that. Um, but we did lots of sponsorship previously, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars with our former team in Gastonia. We had more sponsorship than ticket revenue. Sponsorship was everything. I get it. So again, it goes back to put yourself in the sponsors. So if you are going to be, which I, a lot of these teams and no one will ever copy us because it's not a good business model, um, unless you do the merchandise that we do and the ticket sales that we do. But regardless, you put yourself in your in sponsor shoes. What are they trying to gain? If there's only 200, 300 people coming out, how do they do something that creates a story, 
create something that's remarkable. I think the best marketing is, is it shareable? Is it remarkable or remarketable? And so you have to think about that, a banner, a billboard ad, none of that would work. So put yourself in your shoes. One of the reasons we eliminated our sponsorship at our ballpark was we said, we don't want to sell something we don't believe in. I'm not going to spend $25,000 on a billboard. If I had to spend $25,000 on marketing, I would never spend it on putting on a sign at a sporting event. And I don't believe anyone wakes up every morning and says, oh, I can't wait to be sold today and marketed today. Oh, I hope I get some advertising today. Oh, I can't wait to see what hits me. You know, no one wakes up that morning. So whatever the sponsors, hey, I got an idea. That's the best way to get in the door. I got an idea. And the idea has to be something that's not, will you sponsor our team or donate our team? You have to think, all right, you know, it's a, it's a hospital. It's a orthopedic. It's a, what's some unique promotion, unique thing that we could do that either could be filmed, captured, that could tell a story that's more than just the marketing in front of 200 people. You have to think outside. So how do they maximize dollars? Which again, unfortunately, with volunteers takes a lot of work. So it's, it's a hard process. We eliminate it because we want to focus on what we're the best at, and that's the experience in the show. So we just sell tickets, and that takes care of. Yeah, that'd be fantastic to get to that point. Um, but yes, as Nick, as Nick knows, then my wheels start, and then it leads to many, many phone calls between him and I to, uh, to see how we can stimulate something we learned on our podcast and turn it into reality. This is the worst idea ever putting YouTube together because he's just going to be inundating me now. Um, <laughs> Jesse, if you don't care, about winning in the best sense you don't care about winning and you don't care about the sport why are you doing it oh geez and and i and i also i don't not care about winning no i know i don't, I don't I focus on it i can't control it when we win a championship and to see the fans they're excited it's amazing why do i do it i'll tell i'll share your story um well going back as a kid the reason why i do it is is my dad my parents were divorced i was an only child my mom had a drug problem and my dad worked all the time and I always was just a kid trying to make my dad proud. And still to this day, I'm the kid making my dad proud. Um, I used to, when I used to come up to the bat as a five-year-old, my dad would say, hey, Jess, swing hard in case you hit it. And like, that was his advice for me, which was hilarious. So, uh, you know, my dad was obviously a big motivator into getting into it and trying to make an impact. But why I do it, here's a story I'm going to share with you. So we did our, our banana ball world tour last year, which was a one city world tour. So we announced a one city world tour, which is a joke in itself. And so we asked all our fans, where should we go? We heard from over 1,000 fans, 300 cities, 15 countries. We chose Mobile, Alabama, because they literally rolled out the yellow carpet for us. The mayor called us. The tourism department called us. They were like, come to Mobile. We'd love to have you. So we went to a city that lost a minor league baseball team. The first night we went there, well, we sold out uh, 7,000 tickets in 24 hours for two days. So 3,500 the first night, 3,500 the second night, because that's what COVID we were allowed to have. The first night was a disaster. The fans lined up hours in advance, but even the national anthem singer couldn't get there in time because there was so much traffic. So we said, all right, uh, fans, let's all sing together. Shark, our announcer, kick us off. And he goes, a one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Take me out to the, I go, Shark national anthem, please. He literally started the world tour with take me out to the ball game. Audio didn't work. Promotions didn't work. It was still a good show, but it just didn't go well. The next night we got an audio technician in. We nailed it. The end of the game, we finished with a showdown, a banana ball, and a uh, walk-off win. Surprised everyone with fireworks show. Greatest showman soundtrack themed out. It was epic. Fans were cheering. They were going nuts. Everyone was hugging. I ran through the concourse like a little kid in a candy store going, woo, we did it. Like I won the World Series because we actually proved we could. So at the end of the game, we always, the last impression leaves a lasting impression. So our band's out there playing music. Our character's out meeting everyone. And the band is playing and no one's leaving. It's now almost 10.30, an hour and a half. 
hundreds of fans are waiting outside, still talking to our players, getting autographs, getting pictures with the dancing umpire, the dancing coach, everybody, the Manianas, the players. Finally, I look over the band and they're exhausted. And they're just doing a drum solo. And the director goes, Jesse, we got one more after this. I go, all right, that's fine. That's fine. And he comes out and they start playing the song, Stand By Me. And the, the, the sound from the tuba. And all of a sudden I watch. The band comes forward. The players come forward. Our staff comes forward. And they put their arms around each other. Both teams, the umpire, the players. And then I see fans join in and put their arms around each other. And at this point, there's about 60 people singing Stand By Me. In Mobile, Alabama, thousands, hundreds of miles away from our ballpark, they're singing Stand By Me at 1030 at night. And I look around and I said, this is why we do what we do. We brought people together, all different ages, demographics, races, arms around each other, having fun. And, and now that's become a tradition every single night at our ballpark. Most people don't see it because it's after the end of the game. Arms around each other, singing state. I want to bring that all over the world. It's something special, and that's that's why we do what we do. Well, I hope we edit. We're going to have to edit that to be the end of the podcast for sure, because that's that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's a great end. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's I think hits home too because I think that's what we're trying to build, and I think a lot of clubs in our sport um, really have that. You know, we we kind of know what we want it to be. Most of us, probably very few of us, do it full time um, or even. You know, it's volunteer passion project and, and figuring out how to get from where we are to where we want is, is hard. And I think some of the things that you, um, Nick and I take a lot of notes during these and um, I haven't taken a lot of notes because I've just been listening. And and I think it's, there's a lot to be learned. It's, it's recorded, John, you'll be all right. Yes, I know. But there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot to take from the simple, you know, really just take a step back and think of it in somebody else's shoes and, and, and to next point it's not it's not overly complicated there and i think i think the things that you come up with um i mean the whole banana theme just piles on itself there's so many cool things that you can do with it and it's really been neat to kind of research you guys and, and get to hear a little more of your story and stuff and yeah, I, I i probably will bother you in, in the spring sometime i'll have to find a way to get down south but um, well, we'd love to see for you to see it, and we'll 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 be up there. Where are you guys again? About an hour outside of Chicago, halfway to Iowa, right. in Chicago. Uh, we've heard we had over a hundred people suggest Chicago this past year, and I would be shocked if we're not in Chicago by twenty twenty three. So, we'll uh, so I have a chance to see it up there. But thank you for that. I, I think uh, I'm very fortunate that it, it sounds simple, um, but it's mostly just built around stories, emotion, connection, and just really, truly, passionately loving what we do and again like it's it's a passion which soccer has much as much passion as anything and if you mm -hmm. can build that passion from the supporters and the fans into the organization it's game over no one has that passion and excitement and energy so you guys are working with something that uh, a lot of people are fired up about so yeah uh, i wouldn't be surprised to see that what happens in the next few years yeah uh, right. these, these conversations are always energizing right this is something where you want to take notes on again this is a uh, the simplest concept again Everyone asks, where do you get your energy? I do things that give me energy. It sounds so simple, but if you do an, what I say, create your energy list. Look in a given day on what are the things that you do that gives you energy. And then look at the things that don't give you energy. Do an audit on your energy. And then all of a sudden, if you see at the end of the day, you're doing all these things that wear you down, take you out, you're not going to have energy. At the beginning, when I started with, the, with my first team, I did everything. 
operations wore me out. Finances wore me out. All those wore me out. At the end of the day, I was exhausted. Now I just do the things I love, creating, sharing, and growing. And with you guys, creating, we're creating new ideas right now. We're sharing it in front of people and I'm growing. I'm learning from you guys. So I'm hitting all three of my energy spots right now. So I'm fired up. So I think look at that and, and, and hire people to do things that don't give you energy or get volunteers or help or interns, et cetera. And so that's, that's why I have energy. I do things that fire me up. Again, so, so it's like a simple concept when you, when you do that self audit, really, it, it makes, I, that's why Nick's, you know, Nick's a volunteer with our club as well. And he does all the social media marketing, all the online stuff and actually much more, but um, stuff that's not in my skill set, first of all, and things that he, I think, enjoys. I think he, I think that's another conversation, but, but I think that's true. And, and Nick's always telling you, go do those other things that you need to do to keep us moving forward and leave me to do my job. And uh, I think it is, it's re-energizing. That's one of the reasons we started this podcast in a panic because we weren't playing and thought, well, how can we help share our story? learn from other people's stories in all different sectors of, of sport and marketing and, um, you know, volunteering and all these kinds of things. And we keep doing it. We came back for season two because every time, um, you know, some, something and some new way to look at what we're doing and try to improve it. So, um, no, I, I think awesome. it's fantastic stuff. If everyone has been inspired by you, apart from the 562 different podcasts that you've been on, Where's, where can they get hold of you and like seek inspiration? This is your opportunity to sell that damn book of yours, I think. <laughs> I'm easy to find. I was told if you search yellow tux, you'll find me right away. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the bananas are all over. Our main platform for the bananas is TikTok. Uh, you know, it's a very significant following there. And then I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. So I do, uh, I post regularly kind of sharing the journey and sharing the stories. And I think, uh, John, going back to like, where do you start and all this? Like, I've learned that that's been a mistake of ours is that we try to diversify too quickly. So, you know, we did try to podcast and we do an app and we do all these other things. Focus on one area where you can be the best at. And I was doing the same thing. I was doing Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and all this. I just focus on LinkedIn, my platform where I can share most of my things. And same thing with the bananas. We're a little bit everywhere, but we spend most of our time building on TikTok. And that's a good spot to think about for an organization. Like, where do you speak the best language for your fence? For business, I speak the best language on LinkedIn. That's where I spend a lot of my time on. Yeah, so, it, Nick, it, that's, where they, that's where they can find me. And I think that's where our approach, like you said, how do you, so step one for us, and actually this was a, an off-season conversation we had internally as a staff was, you know, what does success look like to you as a staff member, a volunteer here at this club? What is it, what's success to you? Is mm -hmm. it trophies? Is it full stadium? Is it, I think 11 out of 12 votes in a conversation and survey was, was a full stadium. That's success to us. So. Okay, we've identified that. We had a meeting a couple of Sundays ago. We've identified that that's success to our staff. How are we as a staff going to work from 300 to 500 to 700 to 1800? And can it happen quicker than that or is it incremental? And what are the steps and strategies we're going to use to fulfill that? Which my point is, we think cast a wide net, right? Instagram, be on Twitter, be on Facebook, be, be everywhere because there's always somebody that's not looking at the place that we're posting if we don't post everywhere and things like that. So those are all things that we're all trying to figure out. Obviously, yeah. in uh, this will be our fourth season. Um, if we had the answer, we'd have already done it. So, I mean, I think we're always trying <laughs> to find new things and, and new ideas and, and ways to attack our community. And it isn't about necessarily getting the money. It's about getting them there. We want, this is yeah. their club. It's the logo represents community very well. And we want... We want them to embrace the 
club in the same way that ethnic clubs have been around 100 years or 150 years because I'm Croatian or I'm German. Well, no, I'm from yeah. DeKalb County, Illinois. I might live in Savannah, Georgia. I've seen the yellow era corn and I, mm -hmm. I, I went to school at NIU and that's still my club. So we're trying to create those things. And I think your point makes sense to create those emotional experiences and stories yeah. and, and those kinds of things. I think that goes a long way. That's something that any can, lower level sports for sure. Can I share you with share you a secret that how many people know? And I think this might help you guys. So I'm thinking about if, if 11 out of 12 people said a full stadium is the number one. Here's a secret that I always people know. When we only sold two tickets in Savannah, we were struggling. It was bad. We had to sell our house and everything else. We didn't have many people excited. But we said February 25th, we're announcing the new team. We have to have another announcement as well. Could we announce a sold out game? And we're like, you know, 4,000 tickets. Like, how are we going to do that? We've only sold a handful of tickets. So we went to the hospital and we said, hey. We're really doing something special here. What if you had an entire night for all your employees? It's gonna be epic. It'll be a hospital night. And we somehow convinced them to buy 3000 tickets. And we had enough tickets to get to fill that up. And so on February 25th, we said, fans, and we've already had our first sellout. And everyone's like, what? This stadium's never been sold out in 25 years. We had one hospital buy 75% of the tickets. However, we never told anyone that. I've really even told many people that now. But that was the starting point because they're like, oh, my goodness, these guys actually sold, sold out a game. We got to get tickets. And so my point is for you guys, if 11 out of the 12 people on your team will see that as thing, what would it take for one or two or three, four people to call some of the biggest groups in town and say opening night? This could mean a lot. And don't give away tickets. Don't devalue your product. The tickets are valuable. The tickets are an experience. Do never. Oh, we'll get food and bed. No, the tickets are most valuable. But hey. Go to the, the, the biggest banks, the biggest manufacturing companies, whatever you got in town and say, 100, we want to make this the community night, set the tone. And if each group gets 100, 150, some get two, 300, all of a sudden you can make a big announcement. Opening night is sold out. Then what do you think happens here? And you don't let other people, there's no standing room only. No, get your tickets to the next game. And all of a sudden, wait, we've already sold 600 tickets for the next game. That's more than any game we ever had because night one sold out. And you make night one a great experience. You make add some fun to it, energy. All that, that was the secret that I'm going to people know. There's a way to get a sellout without trying to get cast a wide net. Go focused. Well, we got to cut you short because now I got work to do. I can tell. I can tell. Wow. No, that's, that's, that's really good. And, and also, you said in terms of sponsorship trading, it isn't a banner. That company's provided value to their employees and their families or whatever, where they're actually saying, take a go enjoy a night. And there's actually more value to their employees than there is to that billboard or whatever. So that's, 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 a, that's a great suggestion. And, and lead with that. Hey, most companies, most teams are looking for sponsor dollars and look at this. We feel like we have something that's even better for your people and it'll be, make a better impact on your company and your brand. It's coming out and experiencing something together, bringing people together. That's a better sales point. See, you guys got me excited. I like this. This is good. <laughs> it's fine. Screw to the guests. No, look, um, I'm no well, conscious of time. So thank you very much for doing this, um, finding time in your hectic calendar for us little people. We really do appreciate it. Um, I have very little doubt that John will be in your inbox very soon. Feel free to delete it or put it into train, put a filter on it. It's fine. Um, I guess the, the one thing I'm just very curious of before you run away is um, what would you tell yourself 10, 15 years ago? What have you, what's the, yeah, what would, what one piece of advice you'd give the younger Jesse? <laughs> so that was when I was starting out with our Gastonia team and I couldn't pay myself for three months and uh, keep going baby
Now the time has come for leaving Fear, now we shall return We were so glad we could make it But so sad we gotta run Well, it might be a long time Till we raise another glass You can rest assured that next time We'll have ourselves a laugh 